Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Oh, we have many voices in the room today. This is really nice. This is a treat. So um, when you're a really smart person, like really, really smart, like Nobel Prize worthy intelligent, usually what happens is, is that people end up attributing things to you, really smart things that you actually never said. One of the personalities that are most notable to having things said in their name that they've never said is Albert Einstein. You can go across the internet, and I did a very informal survey on Thursday. You can go across the internet and you can find numerous, numerous things that are purported to have been said by Albert Einstein that he never said. However, I want to share with you one thing that unquestionably Einstein did say, which is worthy of consideration because he won a Nobel Prize, but he's also a really smart guy. He said like this, there are only two things in life in the course of human existence that are without end, that are infinite. One, he said, is the expanding universe. The second, he said, is human stupidity. Of those two things, there is no end. Now, there is an entire study, an entire branch of human study that deals with this question about how stupid we are. They have an interesting name for it. They don't call it studies in stupidity. Humans are really good actually at creating better names for things that are so obvious. We call it leadership study. Now there are some interesting modern gurus of leadership study. Some of them I'm sure you know. Uh, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Robbins. What's his first name? Tony Robbins, thank you. Tony Robbins, Simon Sinek, amongst others, are notable personalities that deal in the realm of leadership, of human leadership. They speak to huge crowds. They're brought into executive retreats. They tell people and try to teach people about how to unlock the things that are actually inside of us that we believe that could happen, but for some reason they don't happen. It's also interesting to note, of course, that the people who engage in these studies, in, I'll tell you something, one of, the, one of the people who is most quoted in leadership studies today actually never lived. Um, he was a character from a Star Wars movie called Yoda. George Lucas created him. And Yoda's famous leadership quote is, there is no trying, there is only do, which is awkward English. He kind of, Yoda talks like an old rabbi or your bubby used to talk if she came from Poland or Russia. And George Lucas once said that he patterned the speech of Yoda after imagining how a rabbi would talk. So that's why Yoda sounds like that. But the essence of what leadership studies try to do, they try to make us understand about the things in us that are misleading the mistakes that we think aren't mistakes, that the truth that we think in fact is true, and that we continue to persist despite, despite the fact that we shouldn't. What's the expression in the army? The army says, if there's a conflict between the map that you have in the hand 
and the reality that's on the ground, throw away the map. When it comes to leadership studies, I would say to you that there is no leadership, that there is no leader more worthy of studying than perhaps one of the greatest voices in humanity. And that, of course, is Moses. Moses is a remarkable study in leadership. Just think about his life for a moment. Cast away, put into a basket, tossed down a river to save his life. Scooped up by the royal palace, raised as a foreigner inside this royalty. Realizing, having a stirring at some point in his life that he is a stranger in a strange land. Breaks away from it, goes back and forth, and then goes back to free a people that he's really not a part of. He doesn't speak their language. He doesn't really look like them. He doesn't talk like them. And yet he's charged to bring them out. He takes this people who, by the way, are Jews. Could you imagine what it's like leading Jews? What's that old joke about, um, I don't know if it actually never happened, but there's a joke about Ben-Gurion and the American president, Dwight Eisenhower. Ben-Gurion goes for a meeting with Eisenhower. This is in the 50s. And uh, they had to delay the meeting because Eisenhower was busy with something. Finally, Ben-Gurion shows up and uh, Eisenhower says, do you have any idea what it's like being the president of a country with 100 million people in it? And Ben-Gurion looks at him and says, I have one better for you. Do you know what it's like being a prime minister of a country with 2 million prime ministers? Moses, as the biblical record shows us, wasn't afraid to be a leader, despite the fact that sometimes people didn't want to be led. He wasn't afraid of that, which takes, in my estimation, an enormous amount of courage. And so the very words that, were, that we read this morning, which are some of the concluding words that Moses offers to the people at the end of his life, in fact, the fact of the matter is, is that most of the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth and final book of the Torah, is this long winding soliloquy, this long winding final speech that Moses offers at the very end of his life. It's the culmination of the leadership lessons that he has learned, of the pitfalls and pratfalls that humans expose their lives to, of the things that are to be avoided and the things that are to be held on under all circumstances. And so we're going to open up the good book this morning. I want to take a tiny snippet from the Torah portion because I think there's something there as a leadership study that's worthy of hearing. So I'm going to ask you to open up the Chumashim to page 879. I promise we won't spend a long time with the open book. On page 879, towards the bottom of verse 17, we read as follows. Pen yeshbachem, maybe there is in your midst. Shoresh pore rosh vila'ana. Maybe there is this thing called shoresh pore rosh vila'ana. Now, if you take an opportunity to look at the English on the left-hand side, I wouldn't recommend it, actually. 
because Chaucer wouldn't have understood this English any better than you and I. But it reads as follows. Lest there be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And I know what you're thinking. What does that mean? <laughs> Interesting enough, in modern Hebrew today, that expression, shoresh pore rosh vila'ana, is actually still in use. Rashi, one of our greatest biblical commentators, says that this refers to a plant called rosh, which is poisonous. It's poisonous to eat. And Rashi says that this is a metaphor for bad people in your midst. Moses is saying, watch out for the people who are bad in your midst. Be mindful of them. The Ibn Ezra, who is a Spanish commentator from the Middle Ages, Ibn Ezra actually has a, uh, there's a crater on the moon named after him. There's also an asteroid. And the Ibn Ezra also has the, uh, also has the great, the great note of having a poem by a Victorian poet named after him, the poet Tennyson. If you've never read the poem, I urge you to read it. It's called Rabbi Ben Ezra. And he concludes, Tennyson does, the poem with these beautiful words. Come, grow old with me. The best is yet to be. The Ibn Ezra says, in explaining this weird verse, he says, what is a shoresh pore rosh ana? What is this wormwood, this gall? He says, it's a kind of weed that grows in a garden. And not only does it grow, but it kills everything else around it. Because it takes all the nutrients, all the water out of the soil, nothing else can survive. So what is Moshe saying? He's using that as a metaphor. That if there are bad things in your midst, don't ignore them because it will destroy you. But he doesn't stop there. Moses goes to tell us what this bad is. Listen carefully. We're going to go to verse, this is a lucky number, verse 18. And he goes like this. He says, And when you hear this, what kind of person should you be concerned about? The one who goes and blesses their own heart. And they say, That everything will be good in my life. Because I'm going to keep going in this way. Want to know why we read this Torah portion almost always before Rosh Hashanah? Because Moses is pointing out that the most dangerous thing in human life. You want a leadership study? Listen to this. The most dangerous thing in human life is when people refuse to listen and they persist in doing what they do. What did Freud say? Another smart guy that people attribute lots of things that he said, but this he did say, that insanity is when people keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Moses is saying, don't keep going on the way. Don't say, shalom, Yeheli, that everything will be shalom. Everything will be good and fine. Ki bishirut delech, that I'll keep going this way. It'll all be fine. No. When there's a, a dissonance between the map that you have in your hand 
and the reality in the world, throw away the map and study the world. So by means of uh, illustration, I want to share with you uh, a way of explaining this. What's the secret sauce about life? How do you figure out about how to balance what you have inside of your head between what's actually happening in the world? How do you deal with the fact that people say to you, perhaps in your life, you're not listening or you're not seeing this? And you think to yourself, I am hearing this. I am seeing this. You know how many times people come to my office and say to me, Rabbi, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a caring husband. I'm a caring wife. I'm a good son. I'm a good daughter. I'm a good friend. And they say, I don't know why things are going wrong. To which I always say to them, have you asked your husband or wife what they think of you? Have you ever asked your friends what they think of you? If you want to know if you're a good person, ask the people you live with. Hopefully they'll be honest. So by means of instruction to show you about how we mislead ourselves, let's take a little bit of modern history. A leadership study, David Ben-Gurion. Arguably, one of the greatest leaders of the past 20th century. Ben-Gurion devoted his entire life to the building of a future Jewish state. He imagined the state, and we know this from his writings and from his speeches, that the state would occupy most of where the modern borders are today, from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River, all the way up north to the border of Lebanon. Lebanon wasn't actually created then, but all the way down south into the Negev and beyond. That was his dream, and that's what he worked for. In 1948, at the conclusion of the Second World War, the United Nations gathers to carve up the world because the old empires, the British Empire, the Turkish Empire, had all collapsed. The whole Middle East had no borders, and they needed to shape things and build borders. And so they carved out something called the Partition Plan. The Partition Plan in what was then British Mandate Palestine would divide the land Roughly 55% Arab, 45% Jewish. And that's what they put on the table. It was, of course, up to the Jews to decide if they would accept it. Ben-Gurion didn't have to declare statehood. The Arabs, after all, rejected it outright. They refused to accept it. They said... No. And there were those amongst in the early Zionist government who told Ben-Gurion, do not declare statehood. First of all, don't accept those conditions because a state could not survive with that parcel of land, a little strip here, and then the rest of it down in the desert in the Negev. They said the state will not survive. And not only that, they said, if you declare statehood, we know that you're going to be invaded by the neighboring Arab armies, and we don't have enough to defend ourselves. In Ben-Gurion's mind, his dream was that land that stretched from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River, from up on the border of Lebanon all the way down south to the bottom of the Negev. It was also a country that would be starchly, staunchly excuse me, socialist and secular. In 1948, David Ben-Gurion announces statehood. He accepts the partition plan. 
And in his declaration of independence, he declares the state to be not just democratic, but Jewish. The reason why David Ben-Gurion was a great leader was not because of the things that he believed, but because, and not only because of the dreams that he held close to himself. David Ben-Gurion was a great leader because of the dreams he was willing to give up on. He was willing to give up on half of the country that he dreamed about. He was willing to give up on having a complete socialist, secular society. Because the bigger dream, the bigger dream was to have a country of some kind. The secret sauce of life of the leaderships that we think about in our own lives, about how we transform and continue to grow as human beings, is knowing enough to know when we don't know something. Is believing enough in the big values to know when we have to stop believing something. It's knowing that the world that we live in, the world that we see, is not what we see. It's what we feel. As we approach Rosh Hashanah, we are reminded once again to heed the leadership lessons and understanding when we're supposed to listen, when we're supposed to throw away the map and look at the world and understand that the greatest calling of human life is not what we hold on to, but it's what we dare to dream and believe about what our lives can be. Shabbat shalom, everyone, and a shana tovah.